BBCC episode 8, my realization of the day. Whenever I was a young boy, I remember staring at the at a bottle of honey in the cabinet for years, wondering, when are we ever going to finish this bottle? I'd watch it crystallize at the bottom, and I was just like, it's just somebody finish it already. Like, when is this thing going to end? But now, me as an adult, I go through a full bottle of honey every two weeks. No fucking shit. I like my my tea fucking sweet, you know? Let's go ahead and get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It's your boy, Devon Taylor, your host. You heard the grunts at the beginning. That's my little Bubba Harley. Fucking ride or die up in here. He's, uh, he's kind of not having it, actually. Like, it was funny. He, he, he watches me set up now, and he knows what's about to go down. I mean, like, is it mean to lock him in here with me? Like, one, I'd just like to know what he's doing. I mean, yeah, the doors are closed and locked out there, but, I mean, what could he be doing out in the living room when I'm recording and I don't know? So, I worry about him. And, two, I like to have company in here, have somebody to talk to, because it's just me, ya boy. But, uh, yeah, uh, this is, I'm having a weird, weird day. Um, I'm very behind as like, as I'm recording this, it's Tuesday night. I usually record like Monday morning, afternoon, but Hey, that's, uh, one of the benefits of when your podcast really isn't that big. You can, you can be late. It's all good. New episodes every Tuesday, but yet most episodes have come on Wednesday. (laughs) It's going to come up on Tuesday. It'll just be like tonight, you know, it's whatever, but also switching it up. I've had I took three shots of Jameson before we started, so I'm a little buzzy for this one too. I mean, I got the bong in front of me. I also got a bevy of beverages, including a White Claw. Ain't no laws when you're drinking White Claws. Ain't no rulies when you're drinking Trulies. I actually like Trulies better, but White Claws are still uh, they're all the fucking same. I think it's really funny. A lot of people will like my my girlfriend's fucking one of those people. She she prefers white claws to Trulies. So if I have to like go pick them up, I'm like, oh, they're all out of white claws. I'm grabbing Trulies. She's like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm a little buzzy. Still got a smoke too. We're gonna we're we're gonna get silly on this episode. We're gonna keep it short too, since I um. I've recorded it pretty late. <clears throat> Jeez Louise, my fucking voice. I spent two minutes clearing my throat before actually starting to record. But still sounds like shit anyways. But um, but yeah, we're fucking, we're rolling. Episode number eight. It's uh, week number two of our fucking heat-soaked horror month uh, here for July. 
It is very hot. Um, luckily, like this past week has been like the hottest week so far in LA. And uh, it's actually good, I guess, that I wait until the evening to record because I'm not like sweating my ass off like I usually am. I mean, I'm still not wearing any pants because that's just kind of a tradition. Yeah, fun fact for you guys. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but like every time I'm recording this podcast, no pants. If you're a podcaster and you record your podcast with pants on, what's the what's the point? Even, I mean, I know even most podcasts don't even do videos, and I still haven't even put any of these videos up, but um, they, there will be some video stuff uh, here coming up soon. I'm finally getting my shit together, but at the same time, it's been nice to just kind of focus on the podcast episode, like, aspect and whatnot, but it's all good. It's all good. Um, today, for week two of Heat Soaked Horror... We have a double feature, a double feature straight out of the 90s. We have Tremors starring Kevin Bacon, fucking 1990. This is prime, the best, like, cooked bacon possible. And there is no debate. I mean, you have to have some chewiness to your bacon. It can't be just fucking extra crispy. You fuckers that order extra crispy bacon, I don't get you. I don't get you at all. And you're wrong. I worked at a breakfast fucking diner for over, for two years. And just like the amount of people that would tell me, just fucking burn it. Fucking make my, make my shit as crispy as possible. Just burn my bacon. No, you're fucking wrong. Fucking it has to be slightly chewy for the perfect bacon. But anyways, prime Kevin Bacon and Tremors. And then... Epi- and then uh, the movie number two will be Anaconda, starring J-Lo and Ice Cube and fucking John Voight. Ooh, we have so much to talk about with John Voight. Or is it John Voight? No, it's not Voight. But, uh, and that came out in 1997. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk those two movies. Those are um, some staples from my childhood that was uh, fun to revisit. Like, I haven't watched Anaconda in a long time. I, I, I watched Tremors, like, a few months ago, actually. But I haven't seen Anaconda in years. So it was very fun to go back and fucking watch these two movies. And spoiler alert, they hold up. Well, Tremors does. Anaconda does, too, but for different reasons. I appreciate it so much more in different areas now. And Tremors, too. I made uh, some... Real fun discoveries about Tremors. But before we get into the movies, just a few things out the gate. One, I am very excited for the lineup for the next few weeks. I saw you guys didn't like the Bad Batch episode. That's fine. I knew that that was already a divisive movie to begin with. And it's a little bit more obscure. I kind of knew that, but that's why I like did it straight after the Chucky franchise, because since I already had the momentum going, I thought it would just kind of carry me through it, and I just really wanted to talk about the Bad Batch. Like, that that episode, I wasn't even planning on doing the Bad Batch, and then I like changed my mind last minute. But I do have the Blade Blunts Cinema Club scheduled out for through September, and I'm just, I'm very excited. Over the next few weeks, we have more guests I've only had two guests on for one episode out of the eight so far. So over the next few weeks, 
you're getting a buttload of guests, and I'm very excited. Some of them came about last minute. Um, some were I was, you know, just like waiting and trying to coordinate with people. Um, over the next, over the next through September, we got good guests. We got good movies. So next month doesn't have a particular theme. August. Um, there's a there's an anniversary episode in there. There's a back to school episode in there for August. And then there's a couple movies that I just really love that we're gonna talk about. But September is dedicated to one filmmaker. And I won't say who that filmmaker is, but five episodes of one filmmaker, a filmmaker who I have not seen a single movie in their filmography, and it will surprise the shit out of you if you know my taste in movies and my vision when it comes to like my photography and the things that I love about horror, you're going to be like everybody that I've mentioned it to already has been like, are, are you serious? And I was kind of shocked. I thought I had seen at least one of their movies, but I hadn't. So I'm going to dedicate a month to rectifying this because this is a very important director in the world of genre films, debated upon in the world of genre films if he's a horror director or not. I'm pretty sure if I know his interviews, he says he's not a horror director. But you know what? It's all good. We're going to figure this shit out. So, I'm very excited for the next two months of Blade One Cinema Club. It's been a very great start so far, and uh, I'm very happy so far. So, that is um, just, uh, I just wanted to, you know, sprinkle some teasings in for what's to come. Speaking of teases, I'm also going to tease that we are going to do our first giveaway next month. I'm going to be assembling a very, very sweet Bloody Blunts care package and it's gonna have some very fun things in there so details on that uh in the next couple of weeks but the giveaway will last all of august to get entries in um so that way you know i can fucking beef up this podcast a little bit i'm a bribe you i know it's early but that's what i'm resorting to it's all good but uh i'm very excited uh um the the main item of the care package that is uh coming in the mail soon you guys are gonna you're gonna want it i mean i'm gonna want to keep it myself so uh hopefully the giveaway goes really well another thing that i'm very excited for is a new addition to the show unfortunately i couldn't make it work for this show just because i was i came up with it kind of last minute but new addition to the show the bloodline i want you guys to call me I want you to text me. I want you to leave me voicemails, you know, whatever you want to talk about, whether it be a story from when you were stoned, a recent movie that you've seen that you really love that you want to share with everybody and share with me. If you have any questions for me about like, you know, some of my favorite films or just like just general questions you have for me. Uh, if you want to ask for recommendations, tell me what you're in the mood for, and I'll give you a recommendation. Just whatever you want to call or text me, please do at 818-392-4725. That is 818-392-4725. Hit up the bloodline 
and I will include I will include um your your thoughts and opinions and I will either I'll play them if it's a voicemail I'll play it on the podcast or I'll just read it out and I'll respond to it and uh, I want to get you guys involved in the show I think it'll be uh, really fun so please hit up the bloodline one more time 818-392-4725 the number will be in the show notes in the description it's on Twitter as well and if you are watching the video if I put up a video clip for this, I will include that on the YouTube video as well. So, please hit up, hit me up at the bloodline. I think uh, it'll be fucking super fun for the show. But anyways, let's go ahead and was there anything else I need to tease? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think we're ready to get into the movie. <laughs> So, let's go ahead and talk Tremors first. Um, but just a little reasons why I picked these two movies together is um, this was like a, a double feature that I would do for myself whenever I was a kid. I remember um, my I would go to my grandpa's house in Illinois, and he lived there for a long time and still liked the family property. And uh, we would always go there for the summer. And he had uh, a bunch of movies on VHS. And um, I would always find myself watching Anaconda and Tremors. One, because a lot of the movies that he did have were a lot of Christian movies. My grandpa is a pastor. So he did have a lot of Christian movies. And But it was so funny. He had It was like half Christian movies and then half just like whatever. Because I remember like... Uh, at his house is when I like saw like RoboCop for the first time, and but but the, and then like I said, I saw Tremors and Anaconda, and it was like kind of the first time that I put a movie, two movies together as like a double feature. I was like, hey, these kind of have some similarities, you know? They both involve these snake-like creatures. Well, I mean, Anaconda is a snake, just a fictionalized version of it but just they both involve these snake-like monsters they're monster movies but then for heat-soaked horror they both takes place during the daytime tremors takes place in perfection nevada out in the fucking desert it's hot as shit and then anaconda takes place in the amazon also hot as shit so i didn't even make that connection at the time whenever i was younger I just made the connection that, you know, they were similar monster movies. Um, they were, came from similar eras. They kind of have similar tones to them. I mean, they have similar tones, but um, as far as, like, the quality and, like, aesthetic of, him, of them, they are a little bit different. Just because Tremors was the early 90s, 1990, versus Anaconda was late 90s, 1997. And it's very apparent when you watch the two, but you still know that they're both from the 90s. So it makes for, it still makes for a very great double feature. So good job on me for recognizing that when I was younger. So let's go ahead and put Tremors through the genre grinder real quick. We got monster movie. That's the primary genre here. We have the Graboids. Um, they are not called Tremors because Tremors are obviously just like referring to 
the little vibrations, the mini earthquakes that would happen when the graboids would go through, but they were not called tremors. So that's always been a weird thing to me because I remember as a kid, I would just call them tremors. I guess I wasn't paying attention in the movie when they renamed them graboids. But there's a lot of people that when they talk about the movies, they will just refer to them as tremors. But the monsters themselves are called graboids. But so you got monster movie in there. You got like just survival in general. You have this ensemble cast of this very small town. They only have 14 people, the entire population. And I'm pretty sure there's only 14 members of the cast in this entire movie. I'm pretty sure they like held it to that. And you have this ensemble cast and they just, they band together because they're, since there's only 14 people in the town, they're obviously pretty close with each other. So there's already this established rapport and the actors just do a really good job of portraying that. So you just have that. And I guess that's, that's mainly what we got going on. Um, I wouldn't say it's like sci-fi because they never explain the graboids at least in this movie they don't explain like where they came from like what they could be I mean there's a scientific aspect when the seismologists and the townspeople are like talking about like what they're going to do with the discovery of the graboids so I mean there's a slight sci-fi element to it but they don't really go into it or lean into it whatsoever so that's pretty much where we stand as far as subgenres go the movie was directed by Ron Underwood who didn't really direct too many films. I think he had like maybe eight films to his filmography and none of them were, um, you know, substantial or as recognizable as Tremors was. However, he was the first assistant director on Taurus Trap, which I just watched recently for the first time. And oh my God, that's such a fun movie. That's such a strange fucking slasher. Man, I love late 70s fucking movies I really need to just I need to dive into the 70s of horror more because every time I watch a movie from the 70s especially like the late 70s I love them so much I love the strange aesthetic that 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 movie had so he was the first AD on Taurus Trap he didn't do too many movies one movie that he did do was The Adventures of Pluto Nash which is a notorious, terrible movie. I mean, it's not as bad as people make it out to be, but it is one of those movies that comes up on, like, the worst movies ever made lists and has, like, I think it probably has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. But Pluto Nash was very famous for being epically terrible, losing a bunch of money. So I think after that, he directed one more film and then was pretty much done and then he sold his soul to ABC, the cable network, because he just directed a shit ton of TV. Like, pretty much any show that came on in ABC in the 21st century, Ron Underwood is probably directing an episode of it. From Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Modern Family to fucking, um, I mean, so many shows. So, interesting career from Mr. Ron Underwood. Now, the Tremors movie is not just a movie, it's a franchise. There is six films with one more on the way. There was one season of a TV show. It is a franchise. And so is Anaconda. Was I going to do series recaps like across a few episodes of these franchises? No. Um, The first couple of Tremors sequels are solid-ish. 
And then after that, they just get ridiculous once sci-fi starts producing them, the sci-fi channel. And that's who's still doing them. And that's where there's still an audience for those movies. So, I mean, kudos to Tremors to be another film franchise that is running on the original continuity. Um, fucking uh, Burt Gummer has been in all of the movies. And he's like fucking like 80 now. So, yeah. So, I mean, kudos to Tremors there. But I'm only going to cover franchises like across a couple episodes across multiple episodes if it's a franchise that I at least like or really like all of the entries like like to love them I'm not gonna do except for like like just to give you some examples of franchises that will be covered over multiple episodes will be franchises like the Final Destination franchise will definitely be covered even though there's one that's terrible. I mean, not terrible, it's just meh, I guess, but then I really like all the other ones. Um, so that's like a franchise that will be covered versus Tremors or Anaconda. I'm not going to cover all of the sequels because I just don't care for them. I remember I saw the sequel to Anaconda, the one about like the blood orchid or whatever, and it was fine, except that they like got rid of the animatronics and they went like full CGI. And then I think there's been, like, a couple more Anaconda movies. There was Anaconda versus Lake Placid, like the Lake Placid uh, crocodile or whatever. Just neither one of them are franchises that I find worth my time to cover over a series of episodes. The Saw franchise, I will cover over multiple episodes just because it's such a perplexing franchise and, like, the ups and downs that it has. So, I mean, and there's a new Saw movie still coming out. So, I mean, Saw is like another one that will be covered. But then, um, yeah. So, you know, that's just kind of how I'm going to play those ones. So, what do I love about Tremors? So, the basic synopsis of Tremors is you have this small town. There's 14 people. And they are ravaged by these giant underground sandworms type monster things. They, like, look like dinosaurs. They look like dinosaur dildos is what they look like. Like if if they made a dildo out of a T-Rex's dick, it would be a graboid. <laughs> I'm sorry for that image. I, I know you didn't need it, but I needed to get that out of my brain. But yeah, like I'm just calling it like I see it. That's what they look like. And it's just um the town trying to figure out like how to fucking beat them first. It like the first... 30 minutes is kind of a mystery because they don't know who's killing people, which I really like. I kind of forgot that aspect. I forgot how good that aspect actually is that they couldn't figure out like how people were dying, you know, and then but just the clues that the Graboids left behind. It's actually they set it up really well. This movie is paced pretty well up until the third act. The third act is kind of up and down, but the first two acts of this movie are paced really, really well. Like the first, like I said, 25 minutes or so, there's kind of a mystery. Then they figure out the Graboids and they're trying to, you know, figure out what to do. And they're trying to get ahead of the Graboids, you know, before they realize like how serious of a threat they are. And then once they figure out how serious they are, it's all out survival. This movie, you could say, is like a combination of Jaws and Dawn of the Dead. Like, it's Jaws with an underground shark 
and then the the second half of the movie especially feels very Dawn of the Dead-esque with everybody on the roofs and the interesting ways that they try to come up with to communicate and to move and to avoid the graboids themselves. So it's it's a, it's an interesting film and it definitely holds up really well. Um Tremors, like I said, like it's a lean 85 minutes or so. It's paced out pretty well. You have a great cast with charisma all around, especially from Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward who play our main protagonist, Val and Earl, they have a fantastic chemistry together. Like, you feel like they are actually just these best buds. And don't get me wrong, I love a good bromance as much as the next person, but these two fuckers are in love. I never noticed this until rewatching the movie. I'm like, damn, they are pretty gay for each other. Or maybe by... I mean, could be bi because, I mean, Val does still, like, kiss Rhonda and, like, all that jazz. But, I mean, they're, they're gay. (laughs) I mean, or maybe they're not gay, but they love each other. It's more than a, a best friend. The way that they look at each other, the way that they talk to each other, the fact they've been living together, they won't leave, uh, perfection without each other. You know, they work together. I mean, they spend literally every waking moment. Like, I don't think there's any scene of this movie where the two of them are not in the scene together. Like, I wish I would have kept track of that in my notes, but I'm almost positive they are in every scene together. These two do their sweet-ass handshake more times than couples kiss. There's a married couple in here, the Gummers, And I think they embrace each other a few times. And I think they kiss maybe once the entire movie. These motherfuckers high-five each other, their little handshake. And they do like it. It's like the fucking Predator handshake. Except not they don't have as massive of biceps. But they do the Predator handshake at least 20 times in this movie. I wish I would have counted that as well. But you know what? I rewatched these movies once before recording. I'm not fucking doing that much work for it. But, I mean, the the amount of times they are just touching each other throughout the movie, they're always fucking squabbling, and they're always got their hands on each other. I mean, and the way they bicker, they're fucking in love. And it's so funny, like, I didn't mean for this podcast to be like, searching for queer elements in different horror movies. I mean, yeah, it's part of my identity, but it's not something that I like, you know, put a bunch of focus in. I didn't mean for the podcast to focus on it, but here we are eight episodes in and we've watched quite a few movies with lots of gay shit in it. And I love it. It's all good. But, um, I mean, uh, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward together in this are so funny I mean, just the introduction you get to them and like, but in like another reason I'm like, they're in love is because Val has these like ridiculous standards for the woman that he's looking for. And Bert keeps pointing it out saying like, you're never going to find that fucking girl because you're too damn picky. AKA Bert is sitting there saying, or not Bert, Earl, Earl is sitting there saying, um, you're never going to find that girl because the man you love is fucking right here. Like, that's the way he responds to him all the time. But, like, I mean, this, in, this Kevin Bacon reads so many lines of this movie 
amazingly. I mean, but you have this gem right here. You will have long blonde hair, big green eyes, world-class breasts, ass that won't quit, and legs that go all the way up. Who talks about... <laughs> who talks about women like that? <laughs> like, it cracks me up. World-class breasts. He doesn't say... I mean, okay, this is a PG-13 movie, so I get it. But he doesn't say, like, fucking big jugs or big knockers or anything. Like, they would in the 90s. Oh, sorry about that. I just I just spiked you guys. I'm so sorry. But, um, like, in the 90s, that's not how people would describe women. It's so funny. But blonde hair, green eyes, ass that don't quit. Oh, my God. Just Kevin Bacon's a national treasure. Happy belated birthday to Mr. Bacon. I wish so much that I would have looked into his birthday or whatever. Like, at the most, I'll check movies for, like, their release dates to see if I can, like, time out an anniversary or something. But I wish I would have known that his birthday was last week and I would have released this episode last week. It would have been perfect. But happy belated birthday to Mr. Bacon. Um, He's wonderful. He he really is. And it's funny anyways that he has this like these high standards and then I mean I guess he comes to like Rhonda, but like Rhonda's fucking cute as shit, so you're silly, Val. But um I just love I mean you have I mean uh, aside from them being in love, Val and Earl just are so great together. Like there's a reason they're inseparable from the screen because just like Everything between them is like, I mean, I I just wonder how it was on set. Like, did they just like hit it off immediately and become good friends, you know, and were just able to feed off of each other the way that they did? Um, they just really worked well together. And it's like, you know, Fred Ward shows up in Tremors too, but Kevin Bacon does not. And it's like, you know, I'm glad that Burt Gummer is still carrying the Tremors franchise it kind of, I don't, it kind of perplexes me that he does. I didn't bother rewatching like the sequels or anything. But in this movie, I mean, yeah, he has a couple good scenes, but he's really not that good. His character is actually kind of annoying sometimes. So I just don't get like where the decision was made because like they're like, you know, when you have a supporting character that kind of steals the show and can carry a franchise. We'll get to that when I talk about Anaconda here in a bit, because I wish there was a spinoff series of fucking um, Paul Cerrone. I wish there was a, a spinoff series about him. But anyways, we'll get to that here in a minute. But that's uh, but but the chemistry between Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward is, I think, the number one thing that this movie has going for it. But the monster movie aspect works really well. They had a really great design for the Tremors. They were interesting. They made them smart and formidable foes, but without overpowering them because they did limit them with not giving them vision. So, I mean, they just, they were very interesting. The, the ideas that they had behind it just worked really well. The design was really good. The, um, the way that they kind of just like unveiled it in stages, you know, like at first, because you think that the little tongue things are the graboids, because those are all we see for the first couple of times that we like actually see anything. That's the first thing that the characters find is just one of the tongue things. 
And then so it just like hits even harder when the reveal hits that they are bigger and those are just the tongues. And it's just like, it's really, it's really good, you know? And so the way that they, the monster movie elements work and that the fact that the monsters can learn, I like that they learned that it wasn't that they were just out the gate, just like already super smart which happens in a lot of monster movies. I like that the Tremors, the, the Graboids, like, learned over time. And there was there was only four of them. So there wasn't, like, too many of them either. So it wasn't too many to overwhelm the movie either. They just had a really good balance of focusing on the characters and the ensemble cast and just letting them entertain you. And then so that way you care more about them when they're put in these situations. And the ways that they have to overcome these situations. I love the uh, practical effects on the Graboids. At least the first Tremors movie, from what I could tell, is almost is 100% practical. I can't think of any CGI shots because they just, they came up with other ways to make the Graboids scarier without having to show you too much. By just showing the fact that they could pull entire cars underneath and like showing how strong they were that they just like will go underneath a house and just tear it down from like underneath from the ground floor down. They just came up with interesting ways to show this instead of just like having to have CGI for the wide shots that Anaconda does. I love that the Graboids uh, stayed practical. Shout out to Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis for heading up the effects department. Um, They are famous for also working on Starship Troopers and Death Becomes Her, among um, a bunch of other genre films. But obviously, they know what they were doing. And, you know, and like I said, I like that they reveal the Graboids in stages. And um, one of the reveals leads to one of the best line deliveries of this entire movie of any movie really um like i said earlier tremors is pg-13 and the mpaa rules with pg-13 movies is you are allowed one f-bomb one f-bomb and tremors use theirs to its full potential and it just makes me so happy so you have earl and Val, they are on the run from one of the Graboids. This is like shortly after they figure out that they are much bigger than they anticipated. They're on the run, and then they go to jump over like a uh, like a water basin or like a dam or whatever, and it has a concrete wall. And the Graboid just runs into it, knocks itself out, kills itself, you know. And then they're fucking hyped up about killing it, which leads to this gem right here. I mean, <laughs> the delivery, the moment, because it was, it came at such a just nice moment. Like I said, they just made this discovery of how big they actually are. And then they kill one of them, you know, and just the genuine reaction that this character would have on top of Kevin Bacon, just nailing it with that delivery, that ha ha at the end. Ooh, uh, chef's kiss. So fucking good. Like, 
And, you know, and that's mainly most of the movie. It's, I love fucking Val and Earl. I love just watching them interact. I love the way that they interact with the rest of the townsfolk. I like that the bodies pile up fairly quickly in this movie. Like, um, it does not take long for people to start dying. And the deaths, I mean, because it is a PG-13 movie, I mean, they're more brutal than you would expect them to be, which I like. And, like, even though the deaths, like, aren't super, like, graphic or bloody, because this is PG-13, they're still brutal, but they come up with brutal ways to do it, such as, like, you know, one, the idea of, like, just being pulled underground and, like, half-eaten, but then think about, like, when you're pulled underground, you're probably going to suffocate, too. Like, that's pretty brutal. Or take Walter's death, the, um the man who owned the grocery store, it's like he's getting, he's like halfway, you know, in the Graboid's mouth and it's just swinging him back and forth. But it's just the way that they linger on it. Like they linger on him in the Graboid's mouth for like a good minute or so or a good 90 seconds of just literally just like he's getting, you know, swung back and forth. I really admire the way that Tremors worked around the PG-13 rating to still make a very effective monster movie and like make it intense and thrilling but it also just has like a very light-hearted tone to it as well with its um with its humor and the characters it's just I don't know there's a there's just this very certain charm I think it is because Tremors came out in 1990 you know so it's the first year into the 90s And Tremors does almost still come off like an 80s movie, like the vibe that 80s horror had. Not to say that 80s horror didn't have scary movies, because it definitely did, but 80s was definitely the year of like lighter-hearted horror movies, you know, stuff that's more family-centric. Like, you can put Tremors on and watch as a whole family with anyone of any age and you and still an enjoyable movie and you don't have to like censor the kids or anything like that like this is a good family horror movie and that's what the 80s were built on but then it also I don't know I guess it was just um the tone started inching towards uh the 90s aesthetic a little bit like even the score is very reminiscent of the 80s and I mean I will say the fucking score in the back half of the movie, rips a lot harder than I remembered, especially the track when they are doing the mission to go get the the cat, the bulldozer, you know, and Val's running. I mean, these fucking horns go so hard. Like, this track rips. Like, fucking Val's running, you know, and everybody's cheering them on, and these fucking horns are just so triumphant and, like, inspirational. Fucking shout out to Ernest Troost for the score on Tremors. Uh, and I didn't really notice it until the back half of the movie. But it's really good. And I don't know, you know? There's just uh, there's going back and revisiting it and then like just seeing the things that would have appealed to me when I was younger. And like I said, this is just a very accessible horror movie. But at the same time... It is very effective in what it sets out to do. It creates an interesting monster. It fucking, you know, kills a good amount of people. There's 
enough set pieces. You see the monster enough as well. They have a really good balance of showing versus not showing the graboids. Like I, I already kind of got into that with like the way that they revealed them. I think Tremors, just for what it was setting out to do and still achieving all those things while maintaining being just a very simple film, it's just super effective. And there's nothing wrong with that. It didn't have to swing for the fences to be a great movie. It just needed to do what it set out to do. And and I really commend the movie for that. So, shout out to Tremors. Really great movie. It was a really fun rewatch. And it was also really fun rewatching our next film. Anaconda, directed by Luis Losa, or Louis Losa, however he pronounces his name. He is a Peruvian. He also was a director that didn't do too much. He made a few films, a few films that gained some notoriety, including the Sylvester Stallone starring The Specialist. Um, Who was the female lead in that? Was it not Brooke Shields? Not fucking, not Sharon Stone. I don't know. It was a it was a popular female lead, but um, but yeah, but that's about his only other claim to fame. And the fact that he is Peruvian, like, uh, I love that Joe Bob. If you watch the Last Drive In with Joe Bob Riggs, and the way he talks about European filmmakers and the style of a European filmmaker, you definitely see that with Anaconda. Anaconda is because it's late nineties, is it takes the the structure of a movie like Tremors, the monster movie formula, you know, the ensemble cast, the big names, and they take those things, but then what the mid and late nineties were doing was kind of implementing more style to it and just more what the fuckery. And Anaconda definitely does a little bit of both. Um, I love the poster. Like, there's actually multiple posters that I like for Anaconda. I remember the VHS cover that was just the Anaconda's face, you know? And it was very fucking, like, just intimidating and scary. And then I saw there's another poster where the tagline is, When you can't breathe, you can't scream. And I, I mean, yeah, that that checks out scientifically. Um, I and that just only relies on if people know that anacondas are constrictors and they that's how they kill their prey. They're not, you know, venomous. But not everybody knows that, except for me. The only reason I know that was because this movie made me a snake nerd for a little bit when I was a kid. Fucking what were what was that line? of kids like nature magazines you could order it was like fucking like zoo zoo something or i don't know they'd send you one every month and like you know they would cover the different species of animals and the different subspecies and all that jazz but i would read those especially the snake ones i would read any snake book i could find in the nonfiction section of my library in elementary school Um, I fucking, I don't know where I got it from because it's not in this movie. 
I would tell everybody, be like, yo, you know, anacondas can get up to 100 feet long. Where did I get this information from? Because it wasn't from the book. And I thought I got the information from the movie. But even the opening crawl of the movie says anacondas can get up to 40 feet. It says, where did I get 100 feet from? I don't know. But that's what I started telling people. Because I was really into snakes and spiders for a, for a little section of my life when I was younger. When I was like 8 or 9. And... This movie is definitely responsible for that. Um, This movie, Anaconda, is, you know, there's a little film crew. They want to make a documentary about some native tribes people in the Amazon jungle. And they go to do that. And there's just all sorts of things keep happening. Um, The movie opens up with this poacher getting attacked by a giant snake or what we presume to be a giant snake. And the documentary team goes in, you have the documentary team, you have the the film producer, you have the camera guy, you have J-Lo, who plays Terry, who's the director, camera guy, Danny, played by Ice Cube, um, Jonathan Hyde, who plays, like, the pompous English dude in every movie, he plays, um, fucking, what's his name, like, Worcester or Winchester, some bullshit, I don't know. But, uh, and, but the crowning piece of this stellar cast, oh, uh, Eric Stoltz is in the movie too, and Owen Wilson, oh yeah, <laughs> like, uh, Eric Stoltz is in about half of this movie, and Owen Wilson is around, he wasn't really Owen Wilson yet at this point, um, but the, the most important <laughs> member of this cast is fucking John Voight, John Voight playing Mr. Paul Cerrone. Wow. I mean, I remember him always being fun when I watched this, but boy, do I love me a scene-chewing villain. And, I mean, this is, I mean, fucking Losa really let John Voight just fucking do his thing with his delivery, his fucking, the looks, I mean, his fucking face. <laughs> His fucking face in this entire movie. I mean, so his documentary crew, they're out and about, you know, and then they save his life, him and his boy, Mateo. They save his life in exchange, you know, Paul says he'll help him navigate and whatever, all this stuff, but he has ulterior motives, of course. And, I mean, just like, who is this guy? Where did his accent come from? Where is he from? I don't remember them saying in the movie or him saying. All I remember is he's a failed priest, apparently. Where did that come from and why is that even important? And now he's a snake poacher. But just like, and he he decided he liked the fucking jungle life. What a fucking psychopath. I mean, just like, listen to this guy. Where is he from? Look. I can blow in 10 minutes. Sorry if uh, you're feeling sensitive. We could turn around and lose two days. It's up to you. (laughs) Like, is he supposed to be Peruvian? Like, is he playing Peruvian for the director? Or uh, Argentinian? Like, what ethnicity is John Voight in real life? He's a fucking... He's American. So what... Who was he playing in this movie? I just think he... I mean, he is this movie. Like, 
because I didn't realize that the pacing of this movie kind of sucks upon rewatch. It's very clunky the way that it just like kind of goes from scene to scene and situation to situation before we finally introduce Sarone to the rest of the group and then we finally introduce the snake. They really take their time introducing the snake, but they don't do it in a very, in a good progression like Tremors does. It's just like we don't get much snake for the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie, all, all kinds of snakes, which is great. But it just, it, the pacing of it takes a little bit too long. And compared to Tremors, I mean, yes, the characters in this movie are like, I mean, Ice Cube is Danny, the most charismatic member of this cast, uh, besides John Voight. He's great, even though he's like, you know, he's kind of playing himself a little bit. This was, I mean, Ice Cube just started acting. I'm pretty sure Friday came out also in 1997. So Ice Cube had just started acting at this point and uh he's very good he's really good um his first line of the film is quoting one of his own songs literally the his first line is today is a good day <sighs> like why are you trying so hard it's okay though because he's good and then i mean like j-lo as terry she's just so nothing and she gets, like, you know, capable, and she fucking outsmarts Sarone and the Anaconda in the third act of the movie. She's a decent final girl, because she is very good in the third act of the film, I'll give her that. But they don't write anything for her in the first two acts. And she's just such a nothing, and they don't balance the interactions between the characters, because in the first half... It's fucking Eric Stoltz's Dr. Kale. Ew. Fucking ew, Eric Stoltz. Just his face and his demeanor and the way he talks in this movie. But we spend so much time focusing on him on the first half of the movie. So thank goodness when they fucking incapacitate him. And then J-Lo really gets to take on the movie. Because in the first half of the movie, there's only room for fucking Eric Stoltz and John Voight and Ice Cube. You know? And so J-Lo just kind of gets sidelined a lot of the movies. You forget Owen Wilson is there for the whole first half of the movie until he has a random um, heel turn. So it's just like the characters just aren't as well written, as well developed. The acting is fine. I think everybody plays their characters well. It's just not everyone had the right things to do at the right time. And it really just like kind of affected the pacing because then you're just then you're just thinking, okay, let's go ahead and get to the snake. Okay, where's the anaconda? Let's get to the snake. So in that aspect, it really does not hold up all that well. However, <laughs> John fucking void saves this saves this movie like he makes it just so worth it to watch this movie because otherwise this movie would not hold up as well as it does for me the I mean because the effects are solid they do half practical half CGI there's CGI for a lot of wide shots or like motion certain motion shots, but they do use a lot of animatronic, uh, anaconda as well. The animatronics look fantastic. Like they look really good. They actually like 
gave this the anaconda like a snake or a face and a personality and there's two of them i always forget that there's actually two of them like one's the mom and one's the baby or whatever because there's like one scene showing the egg at some point but the animatronics look really fucking good but it's just like sometimes cgi is eh like when it's whipping people around in motion if it's moving fast enough it's okay but then, like, there's a shot, which the shot always traumatized me as a kid. And it just works for the imagery of the anaconda swimming through the water and somebody's face is pressed up against the side of it. And it's creepy, and just the imagery and thought of it works. But then the CGI of it just looks so silly. It looks like you, like, cut to a Windows 98 screensaver. I mean, I guess that would make sense, 1997, 1998. And, and like I said, there's just like, it's just like kind of trods until we get to the third act. Like there's things and like, you know, why is this documentary so important? Are you guys really that inept to navigate this fucking jungle without Paul? Why didn't you bring a guide or something along with the trip? There's just a lot of things that you're just like, meh, eh. There's the dick measuring contest between Sarone and Kale. I mean, yeah, is it more time for fucking John Voigt to ham it up? But at the same time, it's just like, is it, is it worth it? I don't know. But then once we get to the third act, and they're, you know, Paul is against Danny and Terry because he's trying to catch the snake. But then... Danny and Terry have to, they're fending for themselves against the snake and Cerrone. So that makes, so there's a lot of interesting dynamics going in this third act. You know, like I said, Owen Wilson's character has a weird, a weird heel turn. Um, fucking John Voight's character kills Owen Wilson's girlfriend. I mean, the, the third act, there is some interesting dynamics going on, but it just doesn't, it just does, it just doesn't hit, like, in, I mean, it works, and the third act is interesting, but it's just, like, getting there, it, it just doesn't work as well, because we didn't care about these characters as much, I mean, the third act is fun, you know, we do get a lot of fun things in it, the third act does have probably the most infamous scene in it, and so let's uh, backtrack all the way to the beginning of the movie. And I mentioned how there was a crawl text at the very beginning. And it mentioned about anacondas growing to 40 feet. It talks about the tribes. Were, it talks about the tribes worshiping the anacondas as gods and like shit like that. And then the very end of the crawl text, it says anacondas are also known for not being satisfied after eating. So they'll regurgitate the food so that way they can eat it again. Okay. Like, you, you read that at the beginning of the movie and, like, it was just, it's the most random crawl text, like, just to be really lazy and put information out there, you know, just about how big it is and the tribes, people, and just, like, setting stuff up that we're going to see later anyways. So, like, what's the point of, like, if you're going to have a crawl text make it mean something except for just foreshadowing something that we're going to see later, which is, like I said, probably the most infamous scene of the film is 
Uh, Sarone eventually gets eaten by the anaconda. And as if you remember at the crawl text when it told you it likes to regurgitate its food. And then if you remember, so John Voight gets spit up and he's covered in like, he like looks jellied at this point, like half, I guess, digested. And he fucking is like, whatever, and his eyes are open. And he fucking winks and then like fucking falls onto J-Lo. And I mean, that's one of those scenes that I do remember just scarring me as a kid. Like, it was so creepy. The texture of whatever they put on Cerrone, like on, or what they put on John Voight, like to give him that, like, just like texture was so gross. And then you're like, is he alive? Is he not? Was that like a fucking just response of his body? Just like doing the wink thing? Or is that fucking him still like somewhat conscious and still wanting to fuck with J-Lo? What? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it's, a, it's a great scene. It really is. It still holds up. The CGI is whatever. But it's whatever. I still enjoyed it. The movie overall is fun. Like, it's fun, but not to not, it's not up to par with Tremors though, because Tremors is just, it's a good movie. It's not even just a good monster movie. It's just a good movie. Anaconda, is it entertaining? If you want to see a giant animal movie killing people, will it do the trick? Yeah. It has a couple interesting characters with some fun performances, primarily John Voight, the MVP of the movie. But it's just it's 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 just not up to the caliber of Tremors. Um there's a few other things that I want to point out in my notes that I really liked. One, like I said, I do like the bait and switch that they do with Kale and Terry. I mean, I guess from the beginning of the movie, you assume that Terry's going to be the main character, but the first half of the movie, Kale takes up a lot of the spotlight, but then they fucking incapacitate him by fucking, he goes to like untangle the the propeller or whatever, and he like takes off his like mask while he's under there, and a fucking giant ass mosquito gets in his mouth, and I guess like stung his throat and like closed it up. So he like almost drowns. And then fucking uh Cerrone saves him though by performing a let's see if I can get this on the first try. Cricothriotomy. He does one of those and saves him, and it's a very effective scene. Um, you get like a little body horror-esque with them having to stab the throat and you see the fucking giant ass mosquito in his mouth and it's just really gross. But, uh, but then fucking Eric Stoltz is literally sidelined the whole rest of the movie, which is great. I was fucking sick of his character anyways. Edge Innovations handled the practical effects on the Anaconda. So shout out to them because like I said, I did like the animatronics, the CGI, who I won't say who did that, but it was just kind of whatever. But it was 1997, so I mean, I guess for 1997, yeah, 
it's actually pretty solid effects. Um, there's some very funny lines in here I didn't get to mention. Uh, one of Owen Wilson, the very first thing we hear from Owen Wilson is something about him saying like, what is it? Is it, what is it about the jungle? Or like, am I the only one that is just super horny and his girlfriend or I don't know if it was his girlfriend or just him flirting with her or whatever. And she's just like, nah, it's the jungle. And it's just like, that's like all I can think about is I'm just so horny. And I was like, what? Where is this? So that was literally, and that that's literally the only character trait we get from him until he turns on the fucking crew. Okay, whatever. Um, there, I already said Ice Cube's funny line. Like, when John Voight gets saved and he's just like, oh, thank the Lord for you. Thank the Lord. Like, I was just like, all right, let the fucking show begin. Let me please just like go have a John Voight appreciation sesh right now. I have the the YouTube video just Anaconda, the best of John Voight, and we just gotta appreciate some more of this. Oh, it could be dangerous. Ah, it could be da- it could be dangerous. Like what? <laughs> Still no Mattel. Like him, like fucking not worried about his like, oh, or the Mateo, the fucking uh, creepy ass fucking boat driver. What was his fucking deal? There's this scene where fucking Sarone um, starts slapping fucking Jonathan Hyde's character. It's pretty great. There's this fucking scene where he's slapping Jonathan Hyde's character around. I presume to throw you on the river. You like that presume? You need protection. You need protection. Like, guys, his fucking face, this entire movie, is just, it's perfection. Like, there's this scene, and, like, it's a a really popular gif. It's just them holding on his face with this music going. <laughs> Praise be to John Voight. He's so fucking good. Like, he's he's literally the main... Like, this movie would get, like, a two and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd, but I gave it a three because, because of John Voight. Because um, there's, like, things that annoy me Cause like I said, it's just, it's paced really terribly. The score is trying like really hard to be like hitting the mood of every scene, you know, like, like when it's showing the landscape of the Amazon, they like make it like the score is like very African influence, but like not in a creative way, just like kind of the stereotypical sounds that like you would assume that you'd hear from like African music. I don't know. I think it's, there's just like the score is just like always trying really hard. And like, even like the, when the action's pumping and it gets like a little more adventurous, it just doesn't really work. Um, there's uh, what else did I not like? There was something I really didn't like. Yeah. I just didn't like the weird turn for Gary Owen Wilson's character. 
there's like random slow-mo shots that only happen like three times. Like at the very beginning with Danny Trejo's death, there's like a weird slow motion thing. And then there's like a weird slow motion when uh, Sarone is covering Danny and Terry in blood, like trying to lure the anaconda. And it just goes into this random slow-mo. I don't know. And it was like almost like the cinematography done by Bill Butler. I mean, I guess depending on if it was on purpose for the film or not determines whether it was good or not. But the but it's like it has this weird hazy, like almost like soap opera look. And I, I don't mean like the frames per second. Like, just, like, it just has this, like, haze, which I sometimes like, but I like it in, like, bright, like, really brighter colored movies. Like, Edward Scissorhands or, like, Heathers or something. Like, it has, like, a bright haziness to it, and it works. But with this, it just didn't, unless, like, it was, like, for the humidity of the movie. Which, if that was the case, I guess it did its job. And, I mean, that's what you got. like, that's what I'm supposed to be appreciating of this movie anyways, because this movie is very hot, like, compared to Tremors, because, I mean, Nevada is that dry heat, the Amazon is humid, and it's, this is a sweaty-ass movie, I'm so glad that everyone is sweaty, except for J-Lo, of course, she's too pretty to be sweaty, but, I mean, the first shot of the movie, Danny Trejo is drenched in sweat, probably the sweatiest character in any of the movies that we're covering for the heat soak tour i mean he is just drenched and i mean the whole movie you just like kind of feel it too like you feel like if you were floating down the amazon what it would be like but um i don't know i don't really have too much more about anaconda unfortunately it didn't hold up like as much as i wanted it to but i still really enjoyed it It's still very entertaining, and like I said, at the very, very least, rewatch Anaconda for John Voight's performance. I think that alone makes it somewhat worth it. Um, I mean, not even somewhat worth it. It makes it worth it, and it does elevate the movie to a higher grade than it would, because like I said, it's just like, it's kind of clunky, and it's like, you can get distracted easily. Like, I was, like, easily just, like, watching it in the background while, like, doing other stuff, but still being, like, knowing exactly what was going on in the film versus Tremors is, like, I was, like, all in, and I was, like, really enjoying myself while watching the movie. But both of them are just super fun, and they make a very good double feature just because of, they're kind of in similar veins, but yet they're doing different things, and, like, seeing the difference between the early 90s horror, like when they were transitioning out of the 80s horror aesthetic, and then towards what you see in the late 90s with Anaconda, and how it's getting towards where early 2000s horror was getting with like that music video presentation. There were little glimpses of that in Anaconda. So, you know, it's a, it's a really fun double feature. It's great that they both take place during the daytime. Harley, what are you eating? I don't like that. Here, come get a treat. Come get a treat instead. Harley's eating something. I don't like that. Come here. Here. Come over here. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess on that random thought, that's where I will finish out, like, the film discussion of the episode, and we'll start to wrap things up. Um, like I said, this is a fun double feature. It's a very, it's definitely very much a hot, sweaty, summer, you know, nice back-to-back to watch. And I highly recommend checking them both out, but primarily Tremors. Tremors definitely holds up really, really well. And, uh, that made me very happy. But, yeah, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Please make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And not only subscribe, but download the episodes. But not only do that, like, talk about the episodes when you're listening to it. But not only, not only that, write a five-star review on Apple. Because, you know, I love that shit. Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Next Tuesday, we have Spooky Astronauts on for a special guest episode talk about us and the double. But guess what? Friday, we have a surprise bonus episode because I was kind of late on this one. So make sure you guys are subscribed. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bloody Blunts with three O's. And until next time, stay lifted. <laughs>